Sound. Sound. Music. Acoustic. Noise. Sound. I have a favorite sound, I think. Sounds. Ultrasonic. How they listen. Just a little boop. The one place where it sounds the best. You're listening to Sound, sound Matters. <laughs> You're listening to Sound Matters, a podcast about sound and things that matter. Now, there's a problem with your brain. Well, not with your brain. Let's assume that your brain is in good working order. That's probably one of the reasons you've decided, very wisely, to listen to this edition of Sound Matters. Now, the problem with your brain is a problem for neuroscientists, especially when they're trying to figure out how it works, which is what neuroscientists do. In particular, how it works when you use it for listening to stuff, just like you're doing now. Let me explain a little. Have a listen to this sound. This is the sound of an MRI scanner, scanning your head, trying to map out the activity inside your brain. The various bits of your brain that light up when you hear things. When you hear music, when you hear someone talking, when you hear the sounds of the world around you. Your brain lights up like a Christmas tree. Now, as you can see, or should I say, as you can hear, the problem about measuring your head inside a machine that sounds like an oversized inkjet printer on steroids is that it's very noisy. It's rather difficult to map out what's happening in your brain in a normal listening situation. In spite of that, there have been huge advances in this field in recent years. There have been huge advances in mapping out the bits of your brain that activate when you hear. But the next problem, or so it would seem with your brain, is that the closer we look, the more complicated it seems to get. What exactly in all that insanely complex network of neural connections is going on in your head that makes it possible for you to hear me now. And even if you could map it all out, would that even help you understand what is happening? To help me pick this rather tricky problem apart is Professor Trevor Cox. Well, I'm Trevor Cox, and um, my day job is as Professor of Acoustic Engineering at the University of Salford in the UK, but I'm also a radio presenter and a, uh, an occasional author as well. Trevor Cox is not a neuroscientist, strictly speaking. He's, in any case, much less likely to stick your head in a scanner, at any rate. He's a professor of acoustics and perception. He's a leader in the field in thinking about what sound does to us and for us, and what it means for us to live in a world of sound, for better and for worse. So, now, can you hear me? And more to the point, are you listening? I think listening is, is different from hearing is the first thing that comes to mind. So there's a difference between what actually moves the bits of the inner ear will actually make goes up the auditory nerve and then actually the bits the brain decides to to attend to so what are you noticing right now i rather hope that you're paying attention to trevor's voice and what he's saying 
and not this rather irritating electronic beeping noise in the background. So it's about how our top-down attention decides what to notice. And that's not just a process then of what goes up from the ear to the brain, but also what comes down from the brain to the ear. So we can choose to pay attention to particular sounds. And that's what listening, to me, is why it's more than just a, a very simple sensory process. Stage one of listening, it seems, is largely about early warning systems for survival. So, for example, if a, a car was to backfire outside the window now, I would immediately be alerted to that because it's potentially dangerous. There's sort of kind of these kind of responses going on, uh, some of which are just reflex reactions almost. But if we get past basic reflexes, then you're into more complicated, more human territory. There's this top-down what's interesting sort of monitoring going on. So, for example, if you're in a train and someone's having a mobile phone conversation near you, it's really hard to ignore the half of the conversation. And that's because the voice is so information-rich. Hello, Mum? I'm on the train. That our brain immediately tries to latch onto it because it thinks, oh, there's something interesting there for me to listen to. Oh, uh, oh, are you... Did he? Something interesting for me to listen to. An odd sort of paradox, really. We're not having fish fingers. I'm on the train. Other people's telephone conversations on the train or the bus are more or less the dictionary definition of something you're really not interested in hearing. I'm on the train. The point Trevor Cox is making here is that it's your brain that's filtering out the speaking voice of the person beside you on the train putting it up in front of your mind in order for you to decide if you're interested in it or not. So there's a whole load of different things going on in listening. Um, and it's more than just a simple processing of what comes into the ear and everything gets listened to. Because we would, we would be completely overloaded if we tried to pay attention to everything all the time. The thing is, listening. Really listening. Just to what's there all around you, every day. It's something not many of us ever really put much effort into. Listening, really listening, is actually harder than you might think, even for an expert like Trevor Cox. I used to run listening tests. I used to go uh, and, and put people in listening rooms and play strange sounds at them and get them to judge what, the, what was going on and how they re reacted to the sound of a concert hall. But actually listening on a day-to-day -day basis takes a bit of, I don't know, it, it, you have to consciously decide to do it. It's very easy if I walk out of my office here and into the street to ignore the sounds around, I mean, especially if I put an MP3 player on, but to actually to open your ears, you can reveal things and you can have, you know, even simple pleasures like just walking uh, suddenly outside and suddenly hearing the oral landscape opening up around you. Now, in order to think a little better about how this whole listening thing gets going inside us, we're going to have to regress a little. Well, it begins before we're born, so 
Hearing begins working for you as a sense long before you even open your eyes. We're going to hear the sound of a lot, probably a lot of sort of fluid moving sounds as we're in a womb. Let's take a little acoustic trip back to the very first sentient moments of our lives. What's wrong, sweetie? Can't sleep. You are my sunshine. Rhythm is there right at the start of our, our hearing because we're going to hear the, the heartbeat of our mother very strongly. And of course, when the mother talks or sings, then the sounds being produced in the lungs, we, we hear what comes out of the mouth, but of course that also resonates the body as well. So the, the baby will pick up a, a lot of low frequencies of the mother's voice as well. And in fact, we start to learn some of the cadences of speech, just the fact that when people talk, they talk in sentences and there's words, nothing more sophisticated probably than that. The baby's hearing quite a bit, but it's all kind of a bit muffled. But that's the reason when a baby's born, they, they recognize the mother's voice because they've already been listening to it. We can tell as people grow up, they get better at hearing and, and better at uh, doing discrimination tasks. And that kind of carries on all the way through probably into early adulthood, at which point you've probably reached your, your optimal hearing ability is probably around the age of 20. And then it all goes downhill from there, but quite slowly. Like everything else in life, we have to learn by doing. We learn to listen by spotting the differences between things, even as mixed up as they all are in the soup of sound that surrounds us, surrounds our ears as infants. We know our response to sound is very much driven by first identifying it. If a car drives past and I said, what was, what, when you describe that, your first thing would be say, that was a car. You wouldn't go, it went vroom, 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 vroom. And the reason for that is because the, uh, what our ear has to do very early on, or our brain has to do, is decide, is this a threat or isn't it a threat? So it wants to immediately say, that is a car, that is a tiger. Now it's time to see how well you learned to listen. My guess is, actually, that you're very, very good at this. Here come two sounds, car and a tiger. Really not so very far apart, actually. They both growl and rumble. But can you hear the difference? Tiger. Car. Tiger. Car. Tiger. Car. Tiger. Car. Tiger. Car. Tiger. Well, that was really not bad, not bad at all.
But even if your brain can spot the difference between a car and a tiger just by listening, in the real world there will be, well, everything else happening at the same time. So listening can often be an experience of all the senses at once, what you see, what you feel, and what you smell. All the things that the brain is registering non-stop and trying to sort out. Like I mentioned at the start of this program, the trouble with brain science is that the more you look, the more complicated it gets. Working with the five senses separately is a very sensible simplification. But we know what actually happens in the brain is the brain takes all the senses it's got and all the kind of experience it's got and it comes up with one kind of response to this stuff. So we know that audio-visual interaction is going to be important. But sometimes in science you have to simplify things. When neuroscience started off, I guess, the hope was we would find all the different sections of the brain which did all the separate tasks. But we now know that that's far too simplified and things are unfortunately much more complicated. There's one kind of sound, one kind of listening, that really kicks off for us human beings. It's quite unique to us, actually. And it may really help us in understanding more about how we listen. Music. We certainly know that music is unusual and it's something that really gets to us in a, in a neuroscience way. I mean, you know, if you described how music interacts with your brain, and one, one neuroscientist once said to me, you know, it's easier to say which parts of the brain are not involved in listening to music than to list all the areas that are involved. So it is an unusual signal and it seems to light up large areas of our brain. I think we know that music is really special to us and seems to kind of really have this really ability to tap into our emotions. I mean, neuroscientists often use it not because they're interested in music, but because it's a good way of tweaking people's emotions around to see what happens in the brain. What science tries to do is to build models. Models that will make it possible for us to understand how things work. Models that can be tried and tested out. I think actually linking up this sort of kind of top-level cognition, the emotional response, to actually the low-level what goes on just with actually the sort of physical signals is really important. What I mean by that is I can play you a piece of music and that will send shivers down your spine. <laughs> But actually a model which allow us to play a piece of music uh, into a computer and say, ah, that's going to give so-and-so a tingly spine. We haven't got there. We haven't really got a model of hearing which links all the way up through the very complicated processes of the brain. I guess what I'm asking for is a model of consciousness, so maybe that's the reason we haven't got there yet. But actually, I think those development of models of what goes on in the brain is probably one of the most exciting areas of development. Trying to understand our perception of sound through neuroscience alone may always run into a wall. Even if we do manage to map out exactly what is happening in our brains, 
in a sense it's exciting but in a sense frustrating because what they're doing is producing maps so it's like I, I was to give you a, a map of Copenhagen and you'd never been to Copenhagen or actually never seen a map before and it's kind of intriguing and interesting what all these lines are and how they're connected together but it actually doesn't tell you how the city functions how people get up in the morning and go cycle to work or drive to work how they go and shop because you can't see that what you can just see is oh there's things going on so understanding what all these connections mean and really interpreting them is 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 the great is the great challenge the great challenge for science to understand what's going on inside your head right now the great challenge for the rest of us, just to take the time to open our ears and listen. To really listen. This edition of Sound Matters was written and produced by myself. My name is Tim Hinman. A huge thank you to Professor Trevor Cox. You can check out his blog, The Sound Blog, just Google sound blog and Trevor Cox and you'll find a ton of links to some of his groundbreaking work. And if you fancy a good read, check out his book Sonic Wonderland. Thank you too to Andrea Rangecroft for editing and research for this series. This podcast is made possible with the help of B&O Play. Find out more about them on beoplay.com. Matters.